I say hello, you say yellow. Hello. Yellow, I'm not doing this. Hello. Really? <laughs> Come on! Come I'm on. the hype man. Mike, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm yellow! Like, yellow, see, we've got Dave on the podcast. How are you, Dave? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, we know, he's, he's the undertaker. You're the hype man. <laughs> I'm the hype man to counterbalance Dave. I've heard you called a lot of things in your time, mate, but the hype man. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm not saying I'm good at it. Well, welcome to From the Recruit. We are here in uh, Stratford looking upon the stadium formerly known as the Olympic Stadium. About to go and see Watford against West Ham. My name is John. Uh, with me, as you've already heard, is Mike. Good afternoon. And uh, let's put his uh, introduction music on. Hello, Dave. Hello. Uh, welcome, Paul Bearer, mate. Is he okay? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so we're about to go and see uh, to a brand new stadium, and it, it got brand me new football th- stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. Brand new home for West Ham. We'll talk about the game uh, after the game because we haven't got there yet. Uh, a bit later on, but the, we're, we, this got me thinking, boys, about moving and ch- or maybe change yeah. more like. And the fact that West Ham fans have gone through a change, and they're here, they are at the Olympic Stadium. I've got to be really honest with you. That stadium has many memories, and it's a, a it's a it's a, a stadium that lots of people will look fondly upon because of gold medals that were won there in the Olympic Games yep. and, and the Paralympic I, Games and the Paralympic Games. Well done, um, but I don't want to see it's not me winding up West Ham fans and trying to be um, for banter or whatever. But that just looks like having walked past it on our way here, like they put a big sticker on the side of a stadium to saying, "And this is ours." Am I wrong, Mike? I think, to be perfectly honest, I think they've done a pretty decent job. Okay. You can see it from miles around. Um, I think there's some West Ham fans have complained it's too white, not enough claret and blue. Um, but yeah, I think they've done a pretty good job, really. It looks professional. It looks pretty slick. Um, and, you know, I have to be honest, there's something quite nice about going to a ground where all the paths are nice and wide and it's easy to walk to and everything's signposted. From a purely logistical point of view... It's all right, you know. It's that's that's fine for a football stadium. We, you and I, and and, and Dave here all like a bit of an American sport, and we're used to these sort of big out of town type arenas that are purpose built for sport. And so many oldie worldy football grounds aren't. So on one level, I haven't got a problem with it, but that's because it's not our home. Yeah. My, my follow-up question to that, Mike, was yeah. going to be, well, what if Watford was to have another? A, a new stadium. My ultimate, my first reaction would be I'd be absolutely gutted, absolutely mortified because Vicarage Road is Vicarage Road. We've all got so, we've lost count of the times we've been there, lost count of the amazing things we've seen there, lost count of the terrible things we've seen there. We've all got memories with family, with friends, with meeting people, with being too drunk, with not being drunk enough. Uh, <laughs> there's so much wrapped up in that place um, and to leave it would be would be heartbreaking. So, I completely understand where, where West Ham supporters are coming from in as much as they've left the Berlin ground, which was quite unique in as much as it was, uh, it was, it was smallish, um, it's tight, it's right in sort of inner city, sort of London, the area it was in, it felt like a, that was West Ham's home, there's no, no two ways about it. So to move from that to this shiny new, what is a great stadium, you know, for, for athletics and for the Olympics, it was amazing, we'll perhaps um, reserve judgment on what it's like on a football ground until we've actually been in and watched a game there. But... So I understand where they're coming from. Um, yeah, I'd be mortified to leave Vicarage Road, but if we were going to leave, it would mean that we're going forward, wouldn't it? It would mean mm. progress, it would mean reaching a little bit further and stretching ourselves. So that's something that we've got to perhaps steal ourselves for. If the Pozzos are going to take us forward, 
ultimately, 5, 10, 15 years, a move might be on the cards. Uh, uh, Dave, you know, we play the undertaking music when you come on. Um, that's because you are slightly more cynical than maybe me, and only a little bit more cynical than Mike. Uh, but after that, that little chat there, I don't think it sounds that cynical for Mike. Where John? I don't know, February, March time, when at that point, nothing felt bad on the pitch at Watford. Um, it didn't turn out that way for the end of the season. Uh, and the only thing we sort of had to grumble about was the, the Premier League itself. Now, they're not the only team to have to move stadium, are they? Spurs right. are out to. They have to, buy, they have to build these new stadiums. Yeah. Liverpool uh, have built a brand new stand. Yeah. And the reason they've done it, I saw a press release or a, a press conference, and their owner said, uh, it's the thing that will make us be able to compete for the title. West Ham, this is going to make them a new level, maybe, in terms of finance, because they don't own it, they're just paying a rent and the new Premier League money. Is there a cynical side of you that says teams only doing this are going to be going to new stadiums for the sake of it, but actually it's not going to make that much of a difference? Yeah, we could all get the deal that West Ham got with the local authority, and I think we'd all be happy to move into a new stadium. And, and I'm looking forward to going to it today. Uh, like you, I went during the Olympics and Paralympics, and I'm like looking forward to seeing how... Uh, it is as a football stadium. I bought my binoculars because I hear that we might be quite a long way from the football. Yeah. Although, given how we started the season, that <laughs> might not be such a bad thing uh, to see uh, or to not see as Pi 8 runs through our defence. Um, listen, football's long, did it? <laughs> <laughs> listen, football's an emotive sport by definition. We're here because we're emotionally invested in our football club and our team. And so, like Mike said, you have a lot of history and memories and personal ones wrapped up in where you watch your football team. We like doing away days, but... Uh, most of the time the majority of matches that you see at Watford are at home and at Vicarage Road and because it's an old stadium uh, and because of where it is and because you walk past the allotments and because it's just outside the town centre it's kind of it's completely unique uh, it's you know when I went to Goodison last season that was fantastic and that too is the same you walk past people's front doors and then you walk to the stadium these ones yeah don't get sort of stir the heart or the emotions as much as you know when you go to I always think when you go to places like Derby and Leicester and Coventry, other than the colours, you could be at any stadium. or It's the same stadium, but with different colours. Mm. And West Ham will be different because it was the Olympic Stadium, and so it has a lot of memories for that. But there are a lot of West Ham fans. They're a massive club, uh, you know, a huge club. Um, all of Essex will have travelled down today to come and watch West Ham. And so they, they want more capacity, and I totally understand when I've done that. Watford's different because it goes, to, it goes back to the question of, what sort of a club do we want to be? Are we happy being little old Watford? Um, there is a bit of me that quite likes the fact, and I've talked about this before, that a few years ago I could just walk in at five to three, not have to queue, no problem. Uh, and now it's more difficult. But and that's a good problem to have because you're in the Premier League and it's fun. But sort of a roundabout way of saying, I'm not really sure. Let's talk after the game about how it goes. Spurs are building a new stadium, but it's still right next to where White Hart Lane was. So that's very much in the community. Uh, this is a little bit different. It feels a bit more sanitised, but it's a part of London that's hugely changed, and that's it's an amazing part of London. If you look at what's happened in Stratford here, Hackney, over the last 10, 15, 20 years with the Olympics coming, it's absolutely incredible. I guess the thing with Watford is I don't know where we'd go. Yeah. There is no obvious area that we would go to. Personally, if we go behind Watford Junction, where my train arrives into, that'd be great. <laughs> it's all about David Levy, of course. I think the thing it flags up for me, and I did a piece for ESPN this week, and I said what it makes me realise is that football fans are so hard to please, they're impossible to please. They want to be able to get tickets. So, you know, there's Watford fans upset they couldn't get tickets today, which I understand. They want tickets, they want good facilities, they want good pubs near the ground, they want good atmosphere in the ground. 
Um, they don't want there to be too many away fans. They don't want there to be too few away fans. You know, what football fans are very, very hard to hard to please. So I, don't, I think the stadium is very emotive, and it's always going to be hard to to get it right. Ideally, what you do is almost kind of like the Udinese, what Udinese have done, and kind of remodel that that old stadium, which was in desperate need of of updating. They've done it, and now it looks modern. It looks new. But the the fans there have got something they can be proud of. It's their old ground. They recognise it. Um, but the thing is, the, the I, my first ever Watford game was the first day that the uh, Graham Taylor stand was opened. Mm. And the rest of that ground, in 30 years, has changed massively. Yeah. You mean the uh, upper, the Ralph stand? Because yeah. if you only started going when the Graham yeah. Taylor stand opened, <laughs> you could accuse you of being a Johnny-come-lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was called the Ralph stand. And that, at that point, it was, they'd literally just finished building it, which I think you helped out in. Was that right, Mike? I did, yeah. We went to turn, back when I was a kid, we used to persuade Mum just to take us there for no reason, just to look in the Hornet <laughs> shop to buy like a postcard of... I don't know, Dave Bamber or something. <laughs> and yeah, we ended up sort of helping stir the concrete or something for the for the mix for the Rouse stand. So yeah, I've laid claim to building uh, building some of that. If if you've seen a bit cracking, that's probably probably my bit. We we sort of agree that you wouldn't be worried if Watford didn't move away from Vicarage Road but develop the stadium further. That'd be nice. You'd be interested to see how how it would happen. I think the thing that. The bigger the bigger issue that that, that that Cus coming to West Ham today is is that whole thing about change and how big what sort of concessions are you willing to make as a football supporter for your club to progress like we all want it to. We've heard in recent reports that that perhaps Udinese are looking at selling the naming rights to the to the stadium to Red Bull, who are fast becoming like the enemy of the true football fan. They took over Leipzig and they they took over Salzburg and people hate them. They're just synonymous with like new money coming into the game, and so Udinese sort of Udinese fans are, are absolutely up in arms at at the, at the Red Bull Arena being being their stadium. But that's the Pozzos are doing that, who we we trust absolutely inherently. But are they going to in future? I just wonder what sort of difficult decisions are they going to have to make to keep this trajectory upwardly mobile, just to keep us moving on. There's going to have to be some tough tough decisions in the future. It's not going to be this year. It's not going to be next year. But I think what it does flag up for me is that we need to look to the future and, you know, we're looking at the Olympic Stadium now. Is that our future or is it something else? And it's a really, just a really interesting thing to ponder, what that future shape is. I will say that, and I know I'm here to be negative, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to play up to that. But uh, I think the Pots has done a great job with Vicarage Road. I mean, if you look at the stadium now that we sit in for home matches, compared to three or four years ago, it's totally different. I've moved stands and I'm really happy with the view I've got. Uh, from the stand but just the facilities the shop everything the environment they've, they've got that right they've clearly ploughed a lot of money into that and that's good but Mike's right that will only take us so far because you can't fit more than 20-ish thousand people into the stadium and yeah we're getting a huge amount of money from TV rights and this was the most important season to be in the Premier League because of the money and that's allowed us to invest in a lot more players and I'm looking forward to seeing Pereira and Jan Matt today etc but at some point if we can build a stadium that's got 35,000 people in or 40,000. Now, our question is about whether we've got the catchment area to mm. do that. But if we're in the Premier League and we can get 35, 40,000 people in capacity stadium, then that, you've just got to think that's a financially wise decision to do, to bring in that amount of investment every day. Um, I think we won't, we'll never compete because Liverpool's new stand holds 18,500, one of their four stands. It's the biggest, it's, it's a colossal thing yeah. what they've built. So we never. It's never, we, we will never be able to keep up with the Joneses. No, but there are leagues within leagues, aren't there? We're not in the same league as Liverpool. They're a massive global mega power club thingy brand, and we're not. And let's, that's not a, fall, let's not fall into the trap that big ground means success. Yeah, exactly. Let's not fall into that trap. It's about the future and what the, what the best future 
is for our football club, and I think that's different for everyone else. That that pattern, that blueprint, you know, it's obvious for Liverpool to extend that extend that stand. It worked for them. It's obvious for Tottenham. They worked hard to to. Ex- but what does our future? And I think it's an interesting question. And Ron, perhaps we'll ponder further as we walk to the ground mm. now. But what does the future look like for Watford in ten years? How do we get? To be a Europa League side, how do we get to be someone maybe even challenging for the league? You know, who knows? How you know? What are the steps that we're going to need to take there? That's the interesting thing that I've been thinking about this week. Anyway, it's getting late. Let's go to the game. Okay. Everything about that during the game. Uh, let's uh, ponder our way towards uh, with that question. What does Watford's future look like as we go towards the former Olympic Stadium? A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the Rookery so, End. I can officially say that's the best stadium ever. <laughs> well, first thing first, we're going to keep your feet on the ground. I wouldn't want to watch... No, the best stadium ever. <laughs> well, listen, I uh, wouldn't want to watch my football there every week. No, I'd, no. Like, I'd like to watch that game there every week. <laughs> um, so just uh, I'm going to cover off what we are talking about before we went in. It is an impressive stadium inside. It's an impressive sight. The acoustics are rubbish and the West Ham fa- fans hate it. They were fighting amongst themselves. That's that dealt with. Yeah. Next to what happened on the pitch. Un- Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. What an afternoon, what an afternoon. No one saw it coming, certainly after um, 35 minutes when uh, when we were 2-0 down. Uh, they were raboning crosses in left, right and centre. Andy and I, my brother, looked at each other and said, you know, they're just taking the, the, the PRSS, they're taking the mick out of us. They felt it was going to be a walk in the park. Um, and at that stage, it, it really was, unfortunately. It felt, again, like that game, that game against Stoke away last year, where it felt like a cup game. We're the championship side, and we're trying desperately to hang on and stay in the stay in the contest. Um, and yeah, it looked like we, it looked like boys against men for the first sort of 30, 35 minutes. So a little flashes from Watford, but nothing. They, there was no foothold. There was no solid foothold in that game at all. But I wouldn't say West Ham. They didn't have a, a, a phase of that game where in the, in the first half where it was 10 minutes bombard, 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 bombard. They were definitely. Yeah, Andy, your brother's here. Andy, they, you know they weren't Arsenal, and they were. I didn't feel like they were. They were bombarding us, and we were completely on the back foot. We just weren't doing our thing. No, I don't. I don't like you say they weren't bombarding our goal or anything. But I think it's fair to say they were in control uh, that first 30, 30, 35 minutes. Given the option, they're bringing in an extra sub for the FA Cups. I think if they could have brought in eleven, we'd have taken the lot off. They were in control, and we needed something to happen. Because we, we weren't really having any part any part of the game, we didn't look like in a, a we didn't look like an attacking force at all, and we just needed something to happen. And that came with um, Igalo getting a deflected shot off James Collins, I think. What I would say is, and this is ridiculous, that we sound off we've sort of landed on a slightly downbeat um, note. But I think it's only right that we do look at the first. We're building, Mike. We're building. Absolutely, just like <laughs> our beloved Watford. Yes. But I did, and they didn't even at two 0 I didn't. You know, the rational thing in you says this could be 3 4 nil, but I didn't feel like we were totally out of it because there were some little flashes and there were some little passages of play where Watford moved the ball around quite nicely to, to limited effect in that first sort of 35, 36, 37 minutes. It felt like there might be something, a fight like we might be able to nick a goal before half time. And luckily, we, we obviously learned from Arsenal because it could have Jan Matt passed one against the post, he played a 1-2 with the post, and you know, that goes in and, and it really is game over, it would have been a very different game. So I didn't feel like we were out of it, despite the slightly disappointing nature of that first sort of, most of the set first half really. Dave, it didn't feel like West Ham were really going to be pushing us, but also their goal they scored was a defensive error on our part for both the first two. Yeah, although that bit of from Payet was sublime skill, Rabona or not, 
and whether it's showboating or whatever, he's an exceptionally talented player, and that was brilliant. Yeah, back post defending for both was pretty poor, and he just took all the momentum out of us. And the, fir- the first goal took all the momentum out, and then they came on to our second goal, just a. Uh, just Cathcart letting him the Antonio get across him at the far post but sometimes you've just got to say that's too good it doesn't really matter now because we won 4-2 yeah. so um, that was amazing but yeah the first half an hour was pretty poor and it looked like it being a very very long afternoon at that point and I'm starting to get seriously worried David I want you to think about this one out of the four goals what was the best what was the most important have a think about that the two goals got before half time for me the, the headline out of that one which uh, for, for, for our point of view is a goal from Dini, a goal from Igalo in the Premier League. 100%, that's exactly what we were saying before the game. We need to get those boys up and running. They're confidence players. I, I was really impressed with Igalo in the second half against Arsenal. I thought he started putting himself around, he was making little runs, he was making a nuisance of himself. And he did that again today. And he's, yeah, they got, he's got his goal. I mean, Jamie Collins must have absolute nightmares about this guy. When he closes his eyes at night, he just he must see Odin Igalo bearing down and breathing down his neck. Because we've run him ragged now twice in, in three games. And... Uh, you know, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have probably have won the game. So thank you for listening, uh, uh, Jamie. Um, but yeah, huge credit to both those guys. And I thought as the game wore on, Igalo was asking more and more questions. Obviously, Dini, I think, was buoyed by that goal. Magical finish. What a great finish. We've, met, we've had a, a chance to look, at it, look over it. Um, some West Ham fans were lamenting the goals on the train and we sort of quietly peered over and watched them. And he just was so relaxed when he, when he, to take it. And that's those boys up and running now. So that's a huge stick in the box. It's just really exciting and we've got that they've got a win those guys have got goals under their belt um, and I'm jumping around a little bit but the substitutions Mar- uh, Matsari made as well they, they helped to see the game out very very comfortably but to talk about that first half Gomez didn't make a save in the pretty much in the entire game yeah. he came and took some crosses he punched one away but he didn't make a save in, t- in, the, in, in, in the entire game but yeah to answer your question what a, what a massive plus getting those boys up and running um, but, but I've, we've, I don't think we've ever seen a goal like that from Dini before well not from that far away certainly it's not a great vantage point I, initially I thought he was he'd sort of trying to stand it up at the back post for someone to head it in and when he sort of he, he lofted it I thought oh, that's a decent effort but no one's going to get to it and then I thought you just watched the arc of it and, and like I say having seen it back again it was just in terms of striker's instinct that was someone who was completely in the zone completely relaxed he didn't snatch it he knew he had that little postage stamp in the top right hand corner to, 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 to drift it into Perfectly executed, um, and he's answered. He's answered his critics with, with, with uh, you know, a great performance and a, and a goal when it counted, for almost from nothing. Yeah, and I, mean, I, from where we were at the other end of the, of the pitch, there, I thought it was almost like a cross. But you look at it and you think, oh, maybe it was, he meant it like let's get it near the goal and maybe a, refle- a deflection will come down. But actually, seen it on the the replay, he absolutely pinpointed that he meant it to go where it went. Um, Andy, the, the the man who sort of we were uh, hoping to see a lot of and to to, to impact the squad was Pereira and he did yeah well, it's funny you say that actually <laughs> uh, talking to Mike because I sort of came out of that game not not knowing whether he had a good game or not because um, he, he had some moments in the first half but then I forgot he was playing at times as well um, but certainly in the second half and um, he, he came to life again I think and you know there were some real flashes of, of what a great player we've got there I think he looks like a player and I think He's got to find his feet, you know. Uh, in previous pod- podcasts, we talked about players who've gone like Suarez, who couldn't couldn't yeah, settle. Yeah. Um, he seems to to be settling in well, and uh, I think 
we've got a great player there. But what, what I like about Pereira is that uh, we've lamented, that's the second time I've said that in the podcast, I get these <laughs> words that I like, don't I? And then I just go with them, I'm so unimaginative. But we've complained really that Watford haven't moved the ball quick enough and they haven't gone from, they haven't changed the transition quick enough. They haven't gone from defence to midfield and, and tried to convert that into, a, into an attack. But today, the movement was there and they were getting the ball out wide and, and Jan Mack got forward, Holobas got forward, had another good game, I thought. And I think that is down to Pereira. I think he, he looks so... Andy called him a player, and I think everyone who knows football will, know, will understand that and will agree with that. He, he just looks completely confident with the ball, but not just that. He looks confident and he looks like he's going to do something with it that's going to, that's going to cause the opposition problems. And, when, and it doesn't matter if he drifts in and out of the game a bit, because his job is to, is to get his ball and you know, make, make the little play. Almost, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a playmaker, isn't he? And um, I think he did that really well today, and it's, uh, it's exciting. You've got to not just think about the, the people who scored the goals and the new boys we talk about. Uh, Dave Barami was, is, I think, almost cemented himself as, uh, in that starting eleven. Yeah, we knew that he was a um, Matsari favourite because he played for him before, but he was brilliant today. Absolutely everywhere. Leicester had this expression last season that in midfield they played Drinkwater and then Kante played both sides of him. Today I felt like Kapu and Pereira had Barami everywhere. Uh, and actually his impact mirrored Watford's um, sort of rise and fall in the game or fall and rise because the first 30 minutes he couldn't quite get on it and we were behind but he stamped his authority on the game uh, really shut down space that Payet and Lanzini had and yeah he was brilliant I, I think Baram is uh, wonderful today and there were the bits in the second half where we sort of the first 20 minutes we really battered them to be honest was when he would snap into tackles and somehow space would open up for Pereira to do his thing and he just glides across the pitch. That The third goal, the way that the ball came out to Pereira and he moved it on so quickly, fantastic. I really, it was really great seeing him. I didn't go to the Arsenal game, so it was great to see Pereira for the first time in the flesh today. It's sort of the, the ball just flows and the game sort of flows. When it goes to him, it just flows on past and keeps progressing and keeps the whole game going forward and the, the team going forward and scoring four goals. Yeah, absolutely. And we looked really good on the break today, didn't we? We need to think about the defending. Just think about the squad depth now. I mean, you could argue that that was our first choice team today. But look at the players who didn't even who didn't play at all today. Kennedy, Amrabat, Sinclair. Like some really exciting players who didn't get anywhere near the pitch today. So that's, yeah, exciting as well. Um, and sort of fair play to the defence for tightening up in the second half. Because West Ham didn't have a sniff in the second half. And Payet's one of the most talented players in the league, if not Europe, and had nothing. Gomez had very little to do in the second half. Uh, they had more of the ball, but that's fine. I think there's three real massive positives about, about, the, about that game. It's obviously the result. Obviously, it's one of the best day, away days that we've had in, in recent memory. Just can't over, overstate how exciting it was to be there. It's just absolutely mental. It's one of those ones you, you want to... That's why you're a football fan, for, uh, for those sort of afternoons. But... Uh, getting back into the game before half time, and I said to Andy, "Right, we can start again now." And Andy said, "No, Mike, it's, be- it's better than that. We don't just start again. We, their West Ham have gone in with their heads down, and we go in with our heads heads up." And I thought, well, yeah, "Okay, perhaps a little bit optimistic there, because we, 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 the first half performance wasn't amazing, but we capitalised on that. So we're getting back into the game, and then capitalising it straight away from the get-go, foot on their throat as much as we could. You know, it wasn't." You know, it's not the most. It's not like as if it was like uh, Man United against Cheshire United or something. But we we made the most of our opportunities and went for it and really dominated. And you know, it could have been four, five, six in the end. Um, so, getting in at half-time level, capitalising on that momentum, and then seeing that game through, incredibly well. Those substitutions that that Matsari made, I was a bit dubious about a Carker coming on. 
but that enormous guy, wherever they got him from, I mean, he looked like he looks like a phone box in a football kit. Um, but he did an, he did an amazing job. And I thought, I'd love to know. He, he, it was his second touch that uh, put the ball in the back of the net, which could have been five, which yeah. is offside. But I'd like to know exactly how many minutes he actually stay on the pitch. Doesn't matter though, does it? Because he really did the job, and that's kind of what I mean about that. It's like worry though, he went off. Well, he'll be all right to get him in an ice bath or something, and he'll be fine. I'm not rubbing him down, that's for certain. But. Um, <laughs> But just the way, um, just the way, you know, those three, you know, that was that was a, a complete performance. You know, the players did well, and I thought the coach did well. Um, yeah, it's a, just it's probably a bit, get a bit over enthusiastic, but those three things are really good for us, and that we're up and running in the Premier League. This was a game that we didn't want to lose. But West Ham were the team that almost got us up and running last year. That home game against them was the one that really got us going. Interestingly, two comments after the game stood out. One, Kapu saying first 30 minutes really bad, but then we played with our heart. And Deeney's given an interview to Five Live in which he talked about that West Ham were mugging us off by flicking the ball around at 2-0 up. And that determination and that fight has been great. So, yeah, thanks, James Collins, because last year you got our season going. And this year you've done it as well. Um, but that's really good to see that fight and desire from Watford. Last season, we peaked when we played Liverpool at home and we, absolutely, we just swarmed all over them, fought for the ball. And we just we were brilliant. We, sort of, we just attacked the ball and dominated. This season, we started a bit timidly in the second half today. We really went for it. And that heart and desire that they showed was amazing. One of the great away days. That's important because I think Kapu looked off the pace in the first half. And he was doing that sort of thing where he sort of, you know, flick of the head and say, oh, you know, it's not running for a sort of thing. This is, it's not happening. It's not going for us. And it felt a little bit like they were sort of leaving their foot in. It was a bit half-hearted. And I think um, I'm, I'm glad to hear those comments that, that Dave's picked up from the, uh, from the wires. Um, <laughs> Um, and yeah, well, and Andy said, you know, they're taking the piss out of us. And Deeney obviously picked up, and that, that that's obviously worked in our favour. But I think it, we have to point out that there was a lot of naffness around that first 40 minutes, and there was there was enough, weren't enough people who looked like they wanted it, but they came, they came good in the end. You know, the point I wanted to make for was um, talking about Amrabat not playing, for example, who we a lot of people would say has been our, our best player, and then to come out and have a have a performance like we have today. It does show the strength in, in depth that we've got. We've had a bad start in this game. We turned it around, had a fantastic day out, fantastic result. Best substitution ever at Kaku. I mean, it is, that was amazing. He came on buzzing around, almost got a goal, pulled his hamstring, went off. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> I love that. We were, we were, everyone was scratching their head a little bit about the end of the transfer window. Is it a good? Have we done good business? And I think we said, we agreed that come West Ham, when we see the team sheet, when we see the subs bench, and when we see who's missing out, then we might sort of, that's a bit of a reality, should be a reality check for Watford as to, that is another step forward in terms of our progression. We're not going to have an international standard uh, fallback in every single position, but really now, if someone goes off, um, you know that there's someone good coming on. I thought Isaac's success was great when he came on, he was exactly what we needed. Took, continued to take the, the game to West Ham even though we, we, were, we were ahead we had that two goal cushion and like I said could have gone five, could have been six it wouldn't have, it wouldn't, those, they were good chances um, and I like the way that Isaac Success drove forward uh, and just asked questions, we were asking questions we thought, going into this game we thought they'd be uh, um, offensively West Ham would be threatening and we knew they would be and we, we sort of succumbed to that very early on but there's always a chance with their defence and we, once we sensed blood it was it was great, and people that's where people like Isaac success looked like will come into their own because he was given a bit of a, a a free roll of the dice, if you like, against Arsenal. The game was gone, and he came on and, and made things happen. So those guys, you know, we ended the ended the game without Troy or Iggy on the pitch. People said that couldn't happen. You know, it can, and just that squad depth is something that we could, you know we should never take for granted. These are good players. 
the, the thing now is can they be utilised properly and can they knit together so we don't have that first 35 minutes where they look disinterested, uh, discombobulated and not really not playing as a team. Uh, Dave, what was the best goal? Say Dini's was technically the best because, yes, it was an error, but it's how quickly he turned and got the ball up and over the defenders are coming back in the goalie. So it wasn't just how precise the finish was, it was the speed at which he did it. And he hasn't done everything necessarily at full speed this season, so that was good. And he, he, met, he always made he made the mistake, you know, to, to get himself in that position, and he and he took it. Yeah, he did. He made the mistake. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it was great. It was really good to see, and that, I think that really was the the best goal. Yeah, the most important goal out of our four. You could argue that Igalos is not just be, because it got us back in the game when we were really bad, but because that boy needs to start scoring again. And it was a very Igalo-like goal. It was reminded me of the one at Chelsea that was at Stamford Bridge at Christmas last season. Comes down the left, comes inside, shoots, deflection, goal. Doesn't matter how it happens, he scored. And his body language changed after that. And I also think it was important today. Andy talked about the substitutions. Um, we took Dini and Igalo off today. And we did that in a, from a position of strength where they both scored. And the subs improved on what we had. And that's something that didn't happen at all last season. They barely came off. And when they did... It was a desperate throw of the dice and nothing changed. This season, they both came off and their replacements made a positive impact on the game. I love Kapu's goal. It just keeps his mojo going. He's someone that needs his dander up to be playing, to be getting the most out of him. And you could see how much that goal meant to him. He was, I love the fact that all the Watford players were down celebrating. It felt like the whole team were down there in front of us, all piling in on top of each other. It felt like, you know, this is back, this, we were a team again. But I think Kapu's scoring is so important. It's, I love the emphatic nature of the finish. Smashed it in. F you, I'm going to score, we're going to win the game. Um, and just keeping him rolling is going to be really important for us. Keep, keeping him fit is going to, be, going to be important as well. Igalo, oh, always believe in your soul. You got the power to know you're indestructible. Always believe in Igalo, oh. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Mike's surname is Parkin, and he has a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. Hello, Arlo, and thank you for once again joining us on Michael Parkinson. My problem. Now, Watford have won away at West Ham today, four goals to two. What did you think of that? They should have scored more goals. They should have scored more than four. Is four not enough? <laughs> How many should they have scored? Five. Perfect. Thank you again, Arlo. Cheers for now. Bye. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Andy, next. We have a game against Manchester United. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, we, 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 Paul on the previous podcast from Denver, we talked about, he said, you know, he didn't expect us to get any points in the first five. Uh, we've Ooh, already got... Paul, <laughs> Well, he's uh, maybe protecting his emotions. Um, we've got four now, so it feels like we're not going to have to, we have to go and win that game uh, for, for points and all the rest of it and expectation. What do you want next week in terms of for this, for this progress of these, this team that we didn't see in the first half, but we saw a team in the second half. What do you think they need from next week's game against Manchester United? 
I, I don't think we need to necessarily get points out of it, if I'm honest. I think just a performance. I mean, we've been unlucky against Arsenal, we've been unlucky against Chelsea. No, not unlucky against Arsenal, we, we shot ourselves in the foot, but unlucky against Chelsea. We've got another one of the so-called big, big four, top six, whatever, um, coming to, to the Vic. And a good performance. And I, I think realistically, on the back of this... I feel like we could get something out of it, if I'm honest. Before today, I think, you know, momentum that we've gained from today is going to be crucial because, you know, Paul might have been a bit uh, a bit <laughs> underestimating uh, in his points tally to this point. But, uh, but realistically, we could have gone to Burnley away on Monday in a couple of, week, a couple of weeks' time, sort of feeling like with one point on the board in the bottom three thinking we have to win this game this is a must win game not now and potentially get adding to that tally on, on Sunday if we can go with momentum and go we should win that and and it's and, and it it may sound a bit strange but it's it's that mentality of being out of the bottom three having a win behind us and and enjoying it again and knowing that they can do stuff and I think that that today is massive not just coming not only coming back from 2-0 down the win itself is just absolutely massive because it gives us momentum going forward into yeah. games like Burnley away on a Monday night. Momentum is the word. Man United have got, have got beaten by Man City. They'll be hung over. We've given the Premier League a wake-up call today. We've come from 2-0 down away. Don't care who you're playing. Win it If that's a champion, championship, Division 1, the Premier League. The first Premier League side, away side to win at the London Stadium. <laughs> Get that in the history books. Um, but keeping that momentum going is important. We don't need to fear Man United. That's a free hit for us now. And they'll go out there. They'll play like they did today. We might win. We might lose. We might draw. I'm speaking the obvious, obviously. But there's, we don't have to, our candy said, the points don't matter because we've got a free hit at it. And the beauty of it is we might land that free hit. Uh, it has been a wonderful away day uh, with a 4-2 win uh, away at, uh, at West Ham. Uh, we'll be back next week. Another podcast. Remember, follow us on all social media at Watford Podcast. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Andy. No problem. And thank you, Mike. No problem. Thank you, Watford. Come on, you Hornets. Get in there. 4-2, yes!